we're moving technology, change management, we're moving people under the same space. We're doing office modernization, we're putting whiteboards, learning from the private sector, yeah, right? Yeah. Bringing the right minds together, scrum master approach, wow. um, empowering them. Yeah. The leaders now are just at the edge to remove roadblocks and we're saying you have six weeks, build your ideation, see what occurs, and then we'll funnel it through. This episode of the Bloomex podcast is brought to you by Nava Wilson LLP. Nava Wilson LLP provides services in real estate, corporate law, and litigation, and is committed to increasing access to and awareness of the justice system. Nava Wilson is also the legal advisor for YSpace, York University's incubator, and The Hub, the University of Toronto Scarborough campus's incubator. They are willing to provide up to $5,000 worth of services to a select few startups in Toronto. If you're a startup looking for access to legal services, contact us at the link below to find out more. Okay, perfect. Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us here today. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time on your schedule to come here on a Sunday to talk to us here. Um, I really want to go through your little background and your thoughts on the city, the improvements, and also the startup uh, environment in Toronto. Uh, you being the chief, uh, deputy chief innovation officer for the city of Toronto. Information officer. Information yes, officer, sorry. No worries, no worries. Chief. The I, yeah. the deputy chief information officer chief is my base position, mm -hmm. but currently the um, acting chief information officer as of the end of June. Mm -hmm. So, yes. That's perfect. So, what does that entitle? What exactly are you responsible for? Yeah, so within the city, there's 44 divisions. Uh, firstly, let me just say thank you for having me here. I yeah. think it's, it's great to be part of this conversation. It's great for the city to be part of the ecosystem because yeah. we can't do this alone. We need private, public, as well as academia all gelling together. So it's great to be here. So thank you for that. And I uh, really appreciate that. So the city has 44 divisions. Um, within those divisions, those divisions... IT, information technology, which is a division I'm part for, is responsible on the corporate services, as we call it. Mm. And we provide the technology arm to help those other divisions provide support for 2.9 million people. So those divisions are there providing services, whether it's uh, social services, whether it's employment services, whether it's the housing, etc. Our job is to ensure from a corporate technology standpoint the enterprise environment is there supporting the city. So within the role of the CIO, Chief Information Office, it has a division of about 854 people responsible for managing, providing, and enabling the technology solutions and through the innovative lens so that we can support and power the city. That's a very high level what we're trying to, what our role is. Right? That's great. Yeah. And so you're, with your role, you're in... You're pretty much in charge of over, like, I looked it up, like 700 networked, networked facilities, three data centers, 10,000 mobility devices. Correct. Uh, that's a lot of moving parts. It uh, is. More than most large corporations. It is. Well, the city is the, the city is the largest city in, as you know, in Canada and the fourth largest in North America. But if we take it, one of the things of technology people, we also have to be business people. So in Toronto, Toronto is the fastest growing city in North America. Approximately 70, 77,000 people are moving here in a year. 
Wow. That's bigger than San Antonio, that's bigger than New York, that's bigger to LA. So within the city, we're focused on essentially four main key priorities. Mm -hmm. The first two I'm going to mention, we call it strategic priorities, housing and mobility. If you're having that amount of people moving in, housing, it's an expensive city. How are we solving the housing? And not just housing in terms of, um, which I'll talk about later, where we've got an, uh, a real focus on homelessness, but even people in, from, a, from a middle level in fairly good paying jobs, how are they going to come and afford to be part of this city? And then pro secondly is mobility. How are people moving around? You know, how is from a transportation, how are we moving these people? Because that's what makes an ecosystem attractive. Then there are two other priorities where we call a well-run city, and which focus on program modernization. So how are we providing customer service? A lot of our programs in terms of our enterprise technology, for example, um, we're really ensuring that we're standardizing. The city of Toronto, through amalgamation, we're still a young city. People are surprised. But from the six cities that came together 20 years ago to yeah. make Toronto, that's still a young city, even though the core of Toronto has been around a long time. So there's a lot of technology, infrastructure that we just need to standardize to make sure that it's very efficient. And then the, th the fourth part is about fiscal sustainability. You know, financially, government essentially's revenues are through taxation. So how are we being fiscally responsible and getting the biggest return on that taxpayer and investment? So we call that, those two Ps, the sort of program modernization as well as the um, fiscal sustainability, a well-run city. How are we running the city? Mm -hmm. The other two part aspects of housing and mobility is where we talk about strategic. So from my role as the deputy CIO, my base role, um, I have a talented group of 300 odd plus. There's 854. So in the infrastructure, we have about 324 great employees and our role is to really provide the infrastructure as a service. So some of the things that strategically we're moving to, 80% of the city's infrastructure will, we're targeting to be in the cloud in three years. Okay. The reason is that it's very difficult to ask for more people. We need to shift our talent to be focused on value added initiatives as opposed to what I call utility based initiative. So the cloud for us is a good transformational way whereby we're not too focused on the utility aspects. We can leave certain services to who do that best, and we focus on how we're solving housing, how we're solving homelessness. So that strategy is now being set where you're a cloud first. You actually have to justify why you're building infrastructure on premise. Yep. So that's a huge transformation in terms of there. The next piece is that really transitioning us to really look at data. And one of the passions of mine is machine learning mm. in how we're trying to solve where we're investing money in terms of addressing some of the social challenges we have. So if people are becoming homeless, what is the real cause of homelessness? It's not just a housing conversation. It could be mental health. It could be other areas. So as technologies, we're partnering with our medical officer of health, Dr. Eileen Davila. We're partnering with our um, SSHA, which is our shelter support housing administration. The interim um, general manager there is Marianne Badad. So within our divisions, we're partnering to say, what is the root cause of where data? And that's where sort of just some of the samples of the initiatives that 
the technology people, we are now having to transition to be business people to solve business aspects as opposed to just keeping the lights on. We need to do that. We need to keep the lights on. But let's decide who keeps the lights on better from a utility. Let's move those services to those groups. One of them is the cloud. Let's work with private sector to look at different funding mechanism because we can't do it ourselves. And also, let's ensure that we're secure. So cybersecurity is another big component of the portfolio we're trying to make sure. So. Yeah. I was reading up on that. I mean, your vision really is for the private-public partnerships um, to coalesce and come together to really solve all these large-scale problems from a small standard, from like the smaller kind of components level. How do you choose the partners to work with? Uh, there seems to be a wide variety that you can, that want to work with the city. Yeah, certainly there's a, um, we, everybody knows government, it's taxpayers' money, so there's a procurement process. Mm -hmm. But one of the feedbacks we really heard is that how can that procurement process also cater for that small, medium-sized business as well as the large businesses? Exactly. Um, and that's certainly a, you know, a, an area that we hear. I was on the Tech Fest last week, had the pleasure to address them. One of the things we're really looking at right now is what we call a negotiable RFP, negotiable request for proposal. What it means in the past is that we used to be very prescriptive mm -hmm. how we solve the problem. So we would say, we want to build this infrastructure. It has to look exactly in this format. Um, it has to have all these components. Well, that in some ways may deter or skew away various group of that. You know, there could be some small businesses that have some really innovative ideas, but that's a very prescriptive way. So now what we're doing is that we've gone on a negotiable, which is the end, to say, we know we have a problem in trying to address housing. We know we have a mobility problem. We know, and our vision is to have a digitally connected city. Our vision is to ensure that we have fiber all across the city so people can interact, because without that baseline infrastructure, you don't have a well-connected city. So we pose the vision, and then through the negotiable RFP, we're asking various sectors to come through the process to tell us how they would solve that. Yep. I think that's a great opportunity for different sectors now, and we are in a great space here at U of T, for, for people who are innovators to come and say, you know what, we have a different vision. In, we, we align with your vision, but we have different solutions how to solve that. Mm. And that's where I, government, and certainly the city of Toronto, is trying to get through called a negotiable RFP. There's still some things we will do traditionally, um, but the negotiable RFP is a very services. I think we're very strong on goods, we call it. If you want to purchase a particular good there, but now a lot of the RFP are talking to services and solutions. And you can't, you can't be prescriptive when you're asking for private sector to solve that if yeah. you're saying it must be like this. Yeah. No, tell them what your vision is, tell them what you're trying to achieve, tell them what the political leadership are telling you to get done, and let them come to the table to solve that. I think that's a better way to bring the ecosystem of the small businesses, the large businesses to there. Another big thing personally for me, I'm very interested in partnership. Um, I was in British Columbia before I took this role two years ago. September the 5th makes it two years in Toronto. And I was in BC, I was on an initiative whereby the British Columbia government were looking to outsource employment centers. So they decided that they'll set the policy and the standards, but they did not want to run employment centers. What they specified in the RFP was that a big organization needed to provide a proposal with a not-for-profit or a small organization. They mandated it. Mm. 
the essence of that is that they just didn't want the big organization with their capital to just come and, because it had to be community driven. Yeah. And so I learned a lot through that. We went, I worked for a big uh, US organization, but we partnered with a smaller organization and won the business in Kelowna, but it was through partnership. I think that environment is what we need to encourage here. Yeah. And um, I have personally seen, so for example, we have a machine learning initiative that we did a proof of concept with an organization called Sightline Innovation. Okay. Great local based Amazing. Toronto company. Sightline, great plug for them. They did a POC, provided us great information about the quality of our data, what we could solve, where some of the areas in terms of our shelter locations. But I've really encouraged them to have a conversation with some of the big areas because where they have is the IP, the intellectual property. The bigger organizations may not be to the forefront of that innovation, but they have the account management and those areas. So we have to encourage partnerships and bring the small companies with the big companies who have the financial capital. And that's how you foster innovation, in my opinion. No, that's great. Um, my, my question, I guess, is how accessible is it to, uh, to bid for these RFPs? Uh, I, used, I, I used to do this when I was in university. Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you pay $1,000 to get access to the, private, uh, to the, like, the public uh, portal, you can access see all the RFPs the governments across Canada um, put up, and uh, you see all the big companies will just eat up all the major proposals. But I used to go for the small $500 like, cleaning contract, procurement contracts, right. materials contracts, right. and just bid on them. Right, and just if I get it, I just find someone to, to right. do it and just like be the intermediary. Right. And the problem that I've seen with that is like, even for the application, like uh, one of my friend's sisters, she was like, just graduated from law school and she was helping me with the actual procedures with the very uh, detail-oriented um, steps. Like, steps you had to go yes. through. Yes, yes. And uh, that was really like, even though I had that business acumen to, okay, I can solve these problems. Right. Right, the technical acumen required to actually uh, apply and go through that kind of prevent to me or anybody else uh, right. who can actually do these kind of work um, to access right. the workload, right? Um, is there anything being done to make it more accessible? That so one of the things is that we're moving, it was generally a, a bit of a paper environment. We're moving more electronic, which I think is gonna be great mm. for those entrepreneurs who have more savvy in that respect. Yeah. And the solutions part is that it's the solution in creativity we're more interested with. Yeah as opposed to, yes, there's quals, qualifications you have to qualify, that's fine. Um, but I think the solutioning aspect is where young entrepreneurs can really bring that in there, say, we can answer this a solution, what are you trying to solve? Another thing through the ecosystem, I think, is that what I'm certainly trying to facilitate is conversations on innovation. Mm. So therefore, you know, if you look at some other North American cities, they're creating that innovation space in City Hall. Um, we have it through Civic Innovation. It's a Bloomberg fund that came through, through, through that area to try to solve that. But I think that as the technology division, if we create more opportunities where we're facilitating dialogue within organizations, those relationships would build. Yeah. And then those, relation, those people are no longer foreign to each other. Yeah. Um, and if we say we bring that. So recently we facilitated, for example, a round table from telecommunications just happened last week. We started bringing all the telcos together and say, this is our vision, let's talk. First time in the city. Um, I see us bringing more groups to have conversations with, and through that conversations, you get introductions. When you get introductions, it then says, we have really good technology at startup. We know you big organizations. Also, it's a bigger 
bureaucracy can we partner? And I think if the city is showing leadership, mm. if the CIO yeah. is showing that leadership to say, talk, facilitate, and creating forums where let's solve this as a, we're all residents to this city. I think the barriers of only the big organizations now have the whole backing to add to that. It's a cultural shift, it yeah. takes time. But um, I'm here to say today, certainly my, in, in terms of my, my viewpoint is that we are, we are starting to facilitate that dialogue, which will bring people more and more together. Um, and it's not just because of your size. Your size doesn't dictate you to innovate. Innovation yep. comes from the ability to see a problem and come from it at different angles that sometimes a big organization needs a smaller startup to partner. So Absolutely. there's ways to go on the process, don't get me. But we don't want, the process is there for due diligence and accountability from taxpayers. We need to have that. Mm -hmm. But the process needs to still facilitate the engine and um, I'm seeing that. I was in Dublin recently. You know, I've traveled to Dublin. I've traveled to Dubai, trying to understand the way that they're fostering innovation. And then we bring that. We are big, but we don't have all the answers. Um, but I think there's a group of leaders coming into the city. There's a generational shift of leaders coming into the city and saying, we've got to do things differently. And that's just an example of trying to facilitate the small and the big through conversations, roundtables, and that area in city. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I really like the idea of the city coming together to bring the startup, especially the bridge startup communities and more established industries. I think we can see more of that because Toronto's startup scene has exploded the last few years. I mean, machine learning and AI research, we're like almost the capital of the world for that as a city. And uh, being such a young city, as you said, that's quite an achievement. Um, and I think there's not a lot of procedures and processes in place to facilitate that. So it's great to see someone championing that. Correct. Um, there are companies literally moving here. I mean, it used to be said that they're moving here because the Canadian dollar is cheaper than the American dollar. You can save 30% there. But in reality, it's actually here, they're coming here for the talent pool. Absolutely. Right, when it comes to AI especially and machine learning, it's here. And really because the city's background in neuroscience research. Right. right? I mean, I did neuroscience here at the University of Toronto. And doing it, I understood that how much city, the, Toronto is known for research but you don't really understand right. it until you're into the actual industry. And right. from that research, the AI industry has also developed. And now that we're like the leading pool of that, um, how is the city, I guess, facilitating this startup explosion? Like, what, what is, what is the, What's your thoughts there um, about the innovation community that's blossoming? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's, a, it's, it's a shift of mindset, right? Um, I think that there has been a traditional viewpoint of certainly in our division, mm -hmm. you know, I won't speak, you know, other divisions. When you come together as a big city, you may have pockets of different innovation. What you want to do is nurse that into the culture that everybody has it, yeah. right? And we're 33,000 people. Um, it's a large city, um, billions of dollars in terms of budget. So I think we're having new leadership now. Um, we have a new senior leadership crew who are really hungry and thirsty for that innovative mindset. Yeah. So what we call it is that if you're, if you're sort of in that, you're a division head, which means that you're one of the division heads of one of the 44, that innovation DNA is now being expected that you're gonna funnel that, mm -hmm. right? And which means is that we have relationships. So that's a part of it, I'm here today. Um, I'm here today because it's a reach out now to that community. Yeah. Um, 
we have a job to do inside, there's no question, it's, it's a big mandate. But I think the more we are out in the community talking about the things that the city is trying to solve, the more people will reach out. And also I think there's another generational thing that we're shifting. Um, I think leaders who are coming in have to be comfortable on social media. So I have a lot of people who reach out to me, you know, <laughs> through my LinkedIn. Um, it's not the fact that we're not on the political level where that's not our role as public, you know, we're public servants, but yeah. I think it's, it's promoting. Um, as Canadians, we don't promote enough yeah. of, you know, the, the, what we do, yeah. or we, 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 we are very much close. I, I think there's a generation coming in and say, you know what, Toronto is on the map. Toronto is growing by this amount. There's a lot of talent here. Um, and I think that the more that government talks and government leaders talk about that, the more people will feel comfortable in there. So I'm going to give a classic example of that promotion. Um, when I came, we have various different groups. The city under our value system is diversity and inclusion, number one. We want a diverse pool of people. We want different thinking. We want our organization to reflect the public, how they look, how they speak, what they think. So we're very conscious of that. So one of the things I saw is that on the Millennium Group, certain of our initiatives, like we're just trying to put, it may not necessarily be invention, but we're just rolling out instant messaging in the city. That's big for us, yeah. right? I mean, people think, well, instant messaging, well, it's not about instant messaging, it's about collaboration. And one of the things I, I, I noticed, I said to a group of Millennium, how is your voice being shared in this city? Mm. So I challenged and I said, I'll sponsor our health. So we have some really bright university educated millenniums who've now formed an area called the MAC, the Millennium Advisory Committee. And it isn't so much on age, it's how you think. Well, you can believe that committee is gonna challenge us to say, and the first thing they came out is that we need to start events. So they're, they're launching an event in the city and inviting the private sector to come and yeah. talk. Yeah. You know, what, what does the cloud look like? Um, we're having all these organizations, Amazon, Microsoft, all these big organizations come and talk about the cloud. What does that mean? How do Canadian representation have that space? That came with me saying, I'm supporting you. So some of us in our senior position have to champion these groups. We don't need to have all the answers, but we need to create the environment. Yeah. And the Millennium um, Advisory Committee is not about just age. It's about a way you think. So, you know, you could be in a generation that's not in that millennium group, but you could say, you know what, I, I think I need to participate. So one of the things on all of our initiatives, we need that thinking. And they've challenged it. For example, you know, their stating is that we need to use Instagram more on how we attract talent. It's not a traditional thing we would think of. Yeah. You know, they're pushing to the fact of we need to get more speakers in. So I see sending that group to the startup community because they're just built like that way to start saying, hey, they're a group of startup groups here. You don't. Um, one of the things in the city is that you apply, you have your lobbyist registry, you, 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 you state that you want to meet and talk to, to one of us, and then it's a conversation that builds to that. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. But that mindset and culture wasn't necessarily there. Um, I see it as a cohort. You know, there's more, The more you hire more people who think like this, because there's a large retirement, it's 40 or 50% of the city is going through that generational retirement at the certain positions. You bring more people who have that diversity of thinking and diversity of groups. Uh, so I'm very excited for that. It takes time, mm -hmm. um, but in two years, what I've seen in two years, just from 2017 to now, 
the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you, the fact that we were an event for TechFest, yeah. the fact that um, we're going to different parts of the world and learning wasn't traditionally how yeah. you would think the city would act. It was very much closed in. The fact they're saying, we can't solve this ourselves. Let's bring the community. And the fact that we're taking leadership to say, we're going to, we're going to set the vision and we're gonna challenge the industry to come and solve it and also come and invest. Mm -hmm. um, some of the bigger organizations, they want that P3, private-public partnership. These languages in this wasn't here years ago. It was okay. a different time. Yeah. So that makes me hopeful. Yeah, I mean, there's been like a real shift in the culture of the city. Uh, I mean, this is a financial capital of, of Toronto. Like, when that kind of industry, it's always like, like you said, everything's closed off. I have all the answers. Right, very egocentric minded. In the last few years, um, whether it be from the tech community or the innovation culture in general, it's really shifted where everyone just wants to cross collaborate. And these events, like you mentioned, are, are so key because you can go to an event, for fr a free event, a $10, $50 event, and meet industry leaders who just want to talk to you, who, want, who are there to meet young people who have ideas. I mean, that's how we met. That's how we met event. last yeah. week. Yes, yeah, right. yes, that's right. It's Tech Fest, a $10 ticket event, right? You just go in and all, the room is full of just great billionaire minds and happenstance, we ended up striking a conversation. Correct. And this came out. Correct. Right? And that's why one of the things I love about the whole innovation economy is just that, 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 that spark of this new things happening right. just because you're in a room together. With correct, them. correct. And I'm happy to see that the city is facilitating that even more. Yeah using that brand to bring in bigger partners? Absolutely. I mean, as I say, is that at the end of the day, my time, I'm renting this space. That's what I say to my team, right? Yeah. I'm renting the chair, I'm renting the title, yeah. right? The next generation will come in and they'll take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, with that, what is my role? My role is to ensure that we push the envelope, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's pushed back, um, but we push the envelope to say that the public are demanding something new. Uh, in Toronto, we have great technology minds. It's not the technology, we have great technology minds. Yep. We have great startup organizations. We have great there. It's the culture in terms of changing in any organization, not just in public, it's the culture. The culture is a, it's, 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 it has been created because that's the environment. And I think that it's the shift of the culture we're trying to do. And with that, you may have to say something 10 times. Mm. You know, it's not, you have, you need, you need resilience and grit, you know, and sometimes you may be a bit of the outlier. Yeah. So I'll give an example how we got to be with Sightline. Around November 2017, the medical officer reaches out to me and said, I've got this organization, small company who are talking about this machine learning. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know much about them. And now to be fair, I wasn't, I wasn't say I was the expert on machine learning or knew about how we're trying to look at neural networks and the movements of data. I was more of a traditionalist, but I was open. Yeah. So I went into the meeting and it blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind in what the possibility of looking at large data sets and building a probability. And I'll give an example. Yeah. The federal government, mm -hmm. um, Sightline had done some work where people would go through the Department of National Defense, they would be sent to war, and then subsequently they would come back they would experience, unfortunately, PTSD. And essentially, they would now be in a situation where it was very difficult for them and, and they, they were struggling. Mm. So 
what really opened my mind as I researched was what happened if we predict that Lawrence should not be on the front line. Lawrence wants to join to go and support, serve our country, but he's more in the back area whereby he's more in, you know, walking in the engineering aspects, etc. And that's what really blew my mind. And when I came back from a traditional standpoint, we don't generally, in that time, we don't talk to small organizations and found a way, but I went and I just found some creative minds in the city to say, how do we bring this organization? I have no idea. And a group of people went through and we, we really found out there was ways within even some of our processes to facilitate this to happen. It just yeah. had never been explored to that level. And I said, well, I'll champion as the deputy CIO, I'll champion it. Amazing. Why not? Yeah. And, and I'll fund it. Be, and, and, and also as well as it, a culture within, within the public service is that we've got to set this mindset if we can show we're trying, whereby innovation comes from fail and repeat. Yeah. The private sector support that. It's a business, you yeah. know, revenue and profitability. You know, you try, you listen to Jeff Bezos, who says he has millions of ideas that have failed, right? And he just needs one or two. Well, yeah. in a public sector, that, that's, that's a different culture, yeah. right? Um, but failure is not really an option. It, it's failure is not an option because yeah. you're using taxpayers' dollars. But I think if we're creating a narrative that, you know what, here's a format how we're trying to be responsible and we can provide that dialogue to the various leaders and that responsibility comes with trying to solve social issues, economic issues, and we're doing it through a cross collaboration. And from those ideas we're incubating, we've yeah. got to start using language like this, that we're incubating, which means you're bringing it together, you're fostering it. And on the AIPOC, it wasn't as if we produced, but there's a report that I have, which is now, we're now building a pilot. That report I have was invaluable. It talked about the, 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 the levels of our data sets. It talked about looking at data in or out. That report now can actually shape up when we actually put out tenders, we're more informed. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to we're just, you have these big initiatives and then it doesn't succeed and then the public is like, you spend all this money. So I think that we have to encourage that culture which is, there is measured failure yeah. and it doesn't mean that from our talent and our staff that that's a write-off, but it's actually an encouragement to let's go deeper. So it's a balance, but I believe those words, because I'm a private sector person. I've served government for lots of years. I used to, used to lead the technology of the child support program in BC. I also led the technology of the healthcare employee pension plan. So I've been used to that government space, but now it's really bringing that sort of private sector mentality and say, what is the way we communicate to say that the failure isn't about just throwing, throwing things away, but the, the failure, or the, it's a test, it's a shift, it's an evolution, taking those results and trying to incubate those results into our culture so the next time we get it, we reduce the probability of failure each time to be better. That's different. Mm. That's different, you know, um, but... I feel encouraged that there's, there's the public service is thinking that at various levels of yeah. government. Um, Alex Bene has just left the, who's the CIO of the federal government, just announced he was leaving. He's going to an organization of AI. He's a big one of AI. There are leaders coming through that have been put, that are now communicating, setting the tone. I'm very encouraged by that. That's amazing. I mean, is there anything else that the city is doing to encourage the innovation industry? Like and then just bring key industry partners together? Um, the civic, so the, the city went out and 
a few years ago, the Bloomberg Foundation, mm -hmm. uh, Michael Bloomberg, funded civic innovation. If you come right into City Hall, you'll see a civic innovation group. They're right in the middle of city. And their job was to create ideas that can help solve residents' problems, you know? So they've been looking at various different things, like a digital translator, for example. Because our diversity means is that for a lot of people coming here, 77,000 people coming, English is not going to be yep. their official the language. language. Yep. So how do they now interact with government? Yep. Right. So it was a really neat idea looking at how we're taking, um, and, and the civic innovation isn't to implement, but it's to say how do you create the environment in the city that the public can come and share this, and we can then use that process to incorporate that in some of our DNAs. We've just also finished, we're shifting, we've just finished a smart city framework. Mm -hmm. um, we're actually shifting the name smart cities to more connected communities because okay. smart cities is a very technical. Yeah. You know, it's great marketing buzz. Yeah. But if you, go to the, if you go to the average person and say, what is a smart city? People are like, oh, I don't really know. Yeah. Were we not so smart before? Yeah. So we're shifting to connected communities, which is really what it's about, how mm -hmm. we're connecting. And we've created pillars. And so that is, we, we, we're sharing that. We've shared that with the Toronto Regional Board of Trade. I see more of that material, which talks about how we're enabling data, private-public partner. These are pillars, but the messaging is clear. So that connected communities is there. We're part from various international groups, as I've mentioned. You know, I visit, I've had the fortunate to visit Dublin twice. They're doing some great things. Dubai has a minister of AI. Yeah. You know, 29 years old. Yeah. Um, very different system, but they're really pushing, making, they're, they're moving um, all the way to be digital. So I see it as multiple, multiple different areas. And the more of us, we, we create specific cases where we can try and focus. And then I call it focus, being focused to deliver, because you have to take the words and you have to take it to action, yeah. right? Which is a discipline, right? You have to take it. And now we are looking at, we've just hired a, there's a director of transformation focused on trying to move us from a digital mindset. Yeah. We've just standardized on a customer relationship management system. So now we're really looking at how we create the digital experience. We're also looking at solutions, how we do revenue electronically. And we're, instead of going to long, agile, we're actually looking at six to 12 week sprints. Mm. Okay. Six that's, to 12 week sprints. That's very different for a public. Very different, yeah. human-centered design. Fail, pivot. Yeah. And now we're actually changing space. We're moving technology, change management. We're moving people under the same space. We're doing office modernization. We're putting whiteboards, learning from the private sector, yeah, right? Yeah. Bringing the right minds together. Scrum master approach. Wow. Um, empowering them. Yeah. The leaders now are just at the edge to remove roadblocks. And we're saying you have six weeks, build your ideation, see what occurs, and then we'll funnel it through. That's occurring right now. So in technology, in our division, we're going to be creating an innovation arm. I've got a proposal that I've got to present to the deputy city manager by the end of September, how we're building innovation in the technology division um, in there. And some of us come from that and removing people from day-to-day -day operation and just incubating them and say, go generate an idea. We're trying to solve this issue. What are the tools you need? And we as leaders are removing roadblocks. It's very different. So that space becomes important. The way you walk becomes important. 
not being governed by what you have to produce at the end, but what does the idea translate mm. and championing that to various area. If you hit this roadblock, who are the sponsors? So that's essentially what we're, we're, we're working on. And it's actually, this is happening right now. This isn't some idea that we're thinking we're gonna launch in two years. We don't have time. We call it a council term. So between now and the next election, we call it short sprints. Build it, test, repeat. Mm. Fail fast, pivot to the end, and it's all about trying to create that better experience, omni-channel for the citizen and residents who don't, who don't want to come to a physical building anymore. We're trying to take lots of service, collapse it into there. So we've standardized on a CRM platform, customer relationship management platform. We're now saying is that what makes your division so unique? If you're doing case management, it's case management. If you're doing call centers in terms of contact centers, it's call we need to centralize that so we can remove the brain trust from doing multiple decentralized. So we're moving very much to a centralized way of thinking mm -hmm. to have economies of scale and drive that. We've just, uh, and that's reaching out to the agencies as well. Um, we've just, you know, we're launching more economies of scale. We're a big organization. We can drive more value when we come together as opposed to each division doing their own unique it's not a good way from a taxpayer funding model. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, this is really exciting to hear government thinking and moving this way in more fast, fluid approach, right, to problem sets and, and uh, communities. Um, but I really want to dive back into the connected cities. Uh, sorry, connected communities. Definitely. About. What did that look like to you? How did that feel? How did that function? Definitely. Well, the first thing for connected communities is that you need to have, you know, you need to have connectivity in the city. So we have an initiative called TO Connect right now okay. we're working on, which is looking at providing the private sector to fund our delivery of Wi-Fi for our, some, of our, some of our areas. So we're, we're looking at two areas whereby it's um, how we provide Wi-Fi if you're going into some of our community centers how we're providing Wi-Fi if you're going to our long-term care. Mm -hmm. So we're branding that called TO Connect, but what's really interesting is that we're saying is that the funding mechanism doesn't have to come through the city. Okay. Right, so we have lots of assets. Is there ways that from the private sector we can think about doing this different? So without getting too technical, one of the areas is that if you look at the city of Calgary and you look at the city of Mississauga, they own something called a dark fiber, which is a private backbone. We, the city of Toronto is a young city. We don't control the fiber environment here. The telecommunications do. Yeah. But there are some areas through there that affordability is a challenge, whereby you know it's now the cost. And, and in Canada, our telecommunications in terms of the cost of some of that. So we're driving the affordability. So Wi-Fi is a foundation of connected community. Without, without having fiber connectivity across the community, you cannot be a connected community because you're going to have a different group. Yeah. You're gonna have people. So Wi-Fi connecting should be a basic element. Yeah. So that's just an example of connected communities, how we've got to connect to that and connect the infrastructure. So the first thing we, we focused on was access anywhere. So now within the city in certain of our locations, you just have Wi-Fi for us as employee. The second phase is how we bring that to the divisions. The third stage is how we bring that to the public, bus shelters, etc. The city of Vancouver has done a really good job of really spreading that. So that's the first thing that connects your community. 
The next piece is that is recognizing culturally is that even though we have data within the divisions, it's not our data. We're custodians of that data. Yeah. So in the three data centers that I'm responsible for, I have terabytes of data. It's not my data. And how is that data really connected? So um, we're moving from three data centers down to one data center because I said 80% will be in the cloud, but 20% has to be on premise. We still need things on premise. And how we're building that is what we're calling a software-defined infrastructure, automation. No physical person touch going into the data center, bar moving equipment to touch things. More automation. Because with automation, you have more repetition. Mm -hmm. And the automation isn't about threatening jobs. It's about shifting talent to go and do other work as opposed to keep that on. So that's another component of connecting communities. Shifting your talent pool to focus on areas while you automate things that are repetitive. I I'm a great study for that. If you look at... Um, Google, for example, yeah. they have what they call certain engineers that once they build it once, they automate, and then it's just repetitive, yep. right? Yep. Um, we need to have to, why are we touching it? Why is it weeks? Why are we touching it weeks? It's because the mindset hasn't been like that because we come from a, a certain legacy evolving environment. So that will help us in connected communities. Another thing with connected communities is that the data is not all in the city. So we've just recently launched an open data master plan where yeah. we're publishing more of our data sets. Yeah. Huge fan of that. Huge fan of that. And, and we, the public gave us feedback. So th the next frontier is that what is the data actually producing? Is it producing more jobs? Is it creating more startups? The first frontier was get the data out. Yeah. That's a start. The, the second frontier was is the data in the format that the private sector can consume it and build businesses. So we're working on that. I just saw recently, we've got a dashboard that is starting to measure. But that open data master plan came from consultation from the public. We ran a very consultation process to, uh, to really get feedback. So that's another piece because data connectivity are your foundation of connected communities. If you don't have data, you can't make good decisions. If you can't make decision, good decisions, you don't know where your money is being spent. If the, if the startup community says, if I really want to interact with government, where is the area they're feeling the pain the most? Mm. Well, that comes from data. They can, the private sector can connect that. So the open data master plan is huge. It's also huge for um, our political leaders. Um, uh, Councillor Ainsley, who's the head of our general uh, government licensing community, uh, met with him. Open data is a big piece. And that's not just from the city, from the agency, Toronto Community Housing, uh, Toronto Parking Authority, really fostering that we've got to publish this data. And we've got to publish it in a way that the private sector can, can, can consume. Yeah. And we've got to publish it in a way that the academia can consume. So that is being, it's, it's, it's big on our radar. Um, so that's really the essence of trying to get the connected communities because if you have data interconnection, you're now not, tr your mobility doesn't hold you to participate because I can connect at any part of the city. If you have data that is published, you can see information. That's another piece. If you have private-public partnership, you're fostering an environment that says that let's all sit and talk and solve the problems together. Um, so these are pillars that are connected communities and then embedding that culture. So what we're doing is that we're creating this innovation arm, we're building artifacts. Mm. So now if you're one division and say you want to start on a connected community journey, how would you start? So we're building artifacts. I really like the way Dubai did it. If you go on this website, Dubai has all these artifacts that are just public. 
And also, it's, it's about ethical, ethical use of data, so you're trying to get away from bias, right? That's a very big thing on AI right now. So we're hoping to create that sort of artifacts and be the engine within the 44 divisions that say, we can be sort of the center of thought, the center of excellence, the innovation hub. We can create this way that you've got an idea in this division and you want to start. How do you go about that? Here's some artifacts that you don't need to start again. Just download it from the city site. And my hope is that essentially we publish that publicly. Mm. So the academia and startup community can see how government is trying to provide information not just data, but actual tools and areas. And we create that ecosystem that people can contribute there through there. We're also op you know, really pushing open source by design. Yeah. That's a big thing. It's a big. Our geospatial, we have a group called geospatial. It's open, o o you know, open source. Now there's a balance with that. You know, some of our enterprise solutions may not lean to open source because yeah. there's a risk matrix you've got to do. Right, and cybersecurity is a big thing. But for some areas, the open by design, open source, interconnecting. Um, I'm a big one for how the application programmer interfaces occur. The biggest thing is the integration. Um, I'm not a one where you have to start in, and I call it the forklift upgrade. You've got to start again. Look at the interconnections. Absolutely. So if a startup community has a real good SaaS software as a service solution, what is the APIs, the application programmer interfaces, we can connect to some of our back assist back ends to fuel that. So those are some areas. That's really great. Um, sorry, if you can just lift this a little bit. Yeah. Um, so open, the open, data, um, open Data Toronto, I've been following for a long time. I think it started actually in 2014, 2015. Correct. Um, following Open New York. Yes. Right? Open Data New York and the successes that came out of there. And really quickly, you can see like just people, concerned citizens getting access to it, industry leaders looking into it, just people just dive into the data and with the minutia of like all the different the touch points you can now have access to, seeing like, you know, where are all the parking tickets being given out? And because is the signage not apparent enough? Right. If I fix the signage, we reduce that right. um, to like where the accident's happening, you know, where the crime happening. People are looking for pattern recognition right. and starting start to solve the problems. Um, do you have that kind of feedback right now where there's the community or companies are solving problems based off the data and they're giving that feedback? Um, I don't have specifics on that, but our geospatial team which is within the technology division, have created a way through the community to receive feedback okay. in the forum. And what's, we had open data before, but the open data master plan was that creating that 24-7 sort of response mm -hmm. in terms of how we get feedback. Um, and also part of that is that there's a pillar that's really trying to look at also how we increase the ability for everybody from a social aspect to feel they're contributing. Um, so I think that one thing I say to people, if we don't have it, it's not on there. If, we go to, if you go to the Open Data Master uh, Plan, you go to our site, there's a forum where to give us feedback, and we look at that. Um, and then we prioritize in terms of if we see there's more feedback coming into this particular area, then we, we, take, the, we take our plans and we try to align those plans to what, you know, we, what we want to address. And New York is a, a big one that we've sort of followed yeah. in terms of how they're doing it. Edmonton is another big mm -hmm. city in terms of open, open data. They're very popular there. I remember one of the, um, sal the sales points. Like, it was like a simple case point. Um, I think there was like a, there's a, there's a parking spot with like a curve, in front of a curve. People parked there, but like just a sign was kind of hidden because the curve and the way the brush came. So hundreds of parking tickets were given out. Right. And people who put it to court 
right? I want to take a picture of the spot and they're saying this is why and the tickets get dropped. Right. So the amount of time and effort, just because of that, the signage in the area uh, was not in tune to uh, the actual uh, the needs of the parking spot, um, was costing the city money, costing people time and suffering, right? And because of the open data, right, somebody just picked up on that, just just ran it through, ran it through like um, just a, like I guess looked for pattern recognition, right? And saw this one spot was getting a lot of tickets, but also a lot of tickets were getting dropped. Right. Why was that? Right. And just that case point just came out of that, right? Just to fix that solution, and that and, and like I think um, that actually got fixed, and that became a simple thing to rally against, right? Why, why is open data was so important? Is because with this data you can actually have a lot of touch points and see what's actually happening. Um, and so I'm really interested in that. So. When it comes to this data, right, like, where is it coming from, and is there an effort to have more of it come out? Yeah, so it's coming from, it's coming from our divisions. We sit on a lot of data. It's coming from our divisions. One of the biggest things on connected communities is the silo. You know, you hear that a lot. If you travel internationally, you know, how do we, how do we improve silos? And that's not just in government. That's big organizations, mm -hmm. right? So that data comes from the city. We, 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 we collect a lot of data. Um, and it's, it's, then it goes through a privacy and a, a sort of assessment. We, 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 do, we do an assessment to make sure that from a privacy standpoint, we're not putting any data there to conflict. So it comes from internally in terms of us. Um, the next piece as well is that within our agencies, there's a big encouragement for them to publish their data. Mm. And there's no reason why they need to publish it on their own. They can just use within the city yeah, domain the portal, yeah. through our portal. Um, and just recently, I reached out to one of the agencies, one of the senior people in the agencies to say that, you know, we're willing to offer our services as help to collaborate just based on some of our experience and resources to, to promote them. So I see that moving a lot harder forward in terms of encouraging the agencies as well yeah. to publish more of their data, um, which will help us. And just, just to add one point, technology is not always the, sometimes it could just be very simple process changes as you mentioned. Yep. People always think that innovation has to have a technology lens. It could be very, it could be even just saying that, how does that sign look? Right? How is that shifting, shifting, just shifting your thoughts? So um, innovation is really about, it's not invention. It's taking something that has worked before and trying to evolve it to improve that. So um, the more we have data from all over the city published, um, the more that we will see that, that there. So the, the Toronto Open Data Master Plan is a central source that certainly our agencies, we can work with mm. our agencies to try to create more of that now, data. Now, when it comes so, to the collection of data, right? Right. so now technology exists, the hardware exists to collect more and more data than ever, mm -hmm. and it's becoming more and more easy and apparent, and the cost is going down. Um, what are the instruments being used to collect data or infrastructure improvements that'll help collect more data? Yeah, I mean, you see a lot more on the Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. You know, IoT is, is, has been around, become a lot bigger now. I think it's collecting the data in a responsible way from a privacy standpoint, yep. really, really have to really, you know, um, be very specific on that point. We want to ensure that the collection of the data doesn't lead to an identification of, you know, individuals. You know, it's really about ensuring that we can collect the data to talk about patterns and what the data means is helping us information mm. from an information standpoint. So therefore, the data is not about targeting specific 
groups or specific areas. But IoT, Internet of Things, is, is, is becoming very popular in terms of how you're actually trying to look at a way to bring it. Because with IoT, you don't need a big bandwidth connection. Um, before my city uh, life, I worked at an organization in Vancouver in the industrial Internet of Things. They were focused on how you're making interconnection with manufacturing and some of these areas that came from the OT, operational technology world, which is now transitioning to the IT information technology. Mm -hmm. So IoT devices have become the, uh, much more popular of collecting some of this data. There's still a conversation in terms of the modernizing of government um, laws because some of our laws are still written in a different times. For example, PIPEDA, which is our federal government privacy laws. We have something called MFIPEDA, which is the uh, municipal laws. So the collection of data has to be in a responsible way. Uh, I think there's technology tools to do that, as I've mentioned, through Internet of Things and various other sources. We've just got to make sure that that data doesn't lead into identification and so that we ensure that public trust, people are not fearful of, we're collecting all this data and we're going to be a certain environment, but it's really about the collecting of data to improve the service delivery. Mm. That's pretty great. Um, I really like your thoughts on our fourth uh, episode we filmed. We had a company called Exmatic that came through here. I really like your thoughts on these guys because what they provide is a solution. They're a level two, level three automation company. Okay. So they're an aftermarket kit that goes on to any kind of trucks, any kind of vehicle, and gives them level three to level two automation uh, capabilities. So a little bit of self-driving capabilities, uh, lane control, lane, uh, it'll stay within the lane. Um, I have a little video here from their YouTube channel. So this is a Sprinter van, right? So if you can see, it's an actuator controlling um, the brake pads, accelerator, right? There is a instrument controlling the steering wheels, and pretty much the brain of the equipment. It's a HD. It's a telematics solution. Hmm. It has, it's a ca it based on a camera system. Um, it's, it keeps the vehicle within the lanes, but it's also mapping out the lanes. So the more it drives, it's mapping out the lanes by um, how exactly what the lanes are within the road, the GPS. Um, but the really cool aspect is the capability that it has. It assists the driver because it makes the it makes the dri car drive more um, economically friendly. Like so, you actually spend less gas. So I think what two thousand dollars a year you save on gas because it's more regulated. It gives feedback to the system on like how the brakes are working, how the acceleration is working. But really it's a telematic solution um, for uh, fleet operators, right? So it gives back incidents reports. If there's, a, if there's any delays in the road, um, if this person hits a pot light, or sorry, a, a pothole, uh, goes through a stop, stop sign or a red light, um, it records that incidents report and sends it automatically. So I know for the city there's a lot of like fleets, you guys have a lot of fleets where if there's any delays in uh, any drives and mm. stuff like that, you got to pull over and do an instance report manually. With this, it kind of automates that process where it sends a clip of that recording to the, to the, uh, to the, um, the fleet manager. And uh, the really cool thing about them is that instead of replacing drivers, it really helps drivers. By it augments. Augments the driver, right? right. By the reporting factor is now taken off, right? If you have like a crash truck or if you're in a con construction or or doing like a, or a painting truck where you're going slowly, right? You can now um, remote control it if you need to. 
right? It has some self-driving capabilities for, for uh, being um, driver-assisted, right? but also that IoT aspect of pulling data and information. Right. Right. So it combines all those aspects from sort of the autonomous driving, Absolutely. as well as the Internet of Things, and it then centralizes all that data in a safe way to a specific wherever your central point is. That's very interesting. Yeah, so they're the first private company to be um, licensed with MTO, okay. to be field testing on the roads. All right. Right, and they already have uh, clients already um, they're working with, right? I mean, would that be of any interest to the city? Oh, I, I mean, you put, you know, you, you certainly make contacts with, um, uh, definitely, you know, introduced. We have our fleet area who, in terms of there, and information like this is always good to share with our fleet area who are in that business. Also, as well as that, some of the other areas, you know, from a solid waste standpoint. Um, one of the things I was talking to uh, one of the division heads was, how do you leverage, if, you, if, if, if you're already in the area where there's a particular service we're delivering, how do you leverage that service with more other, other points, right? So if you are in, if we're doing solid waste and we're already going through that aspect, mm -hmm. is there technology you can put on that vehicle that can accomplish many things in terms of pulling so you take advantage of that, right? Yeah. Um, if fleet already doing a specific service, is there technology we can utilize where we can accomplish? So I think it, it's, it's, it will be certainly interesting. And um, um, by sharing that, um, I think our role sometimes is to connect the right information to the right groups for them to facilitate because they know their business, yeah. whether there's, there's those areas. So no, that's, that's I, would, it, I would definitely be interested to hear in more Oh, yeah? In terms of that, yeah. I'll make the introduction. Yeah, yeah. please. Yeah, we'll definitely. Um, so we'll wrap up. Um, Thank you. I want to ask one last question. Any startup or anyone that you mentioned, uh, you've, uh, you've met, mm -hmm. right, that really stands out to you um, in your role here, uh, regardless from the city standpoint? Right. From your personal standpoint, is there a certain problem or a company solving a problem that you really like? Yeah, I mean, I, I say, again, I think in the two years I've come here, I think one of my takeaways from this is to sort of try to, um, being a big city, there's so many things you have to do. Um, I haven't been as integrated into the startup community in terms of that respect, but one organization that has really impressed me, um, just because I got to them early through that, has been Sightline. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't see if they're a startup now. I know they're getting, but... They're, they're really doing things, um, and I know that essentially they're linking with the federal government, but they've been, they've been creating some really interesting uh, pieces on machine learning. I, I found them really interesting, but I think coming to these forums, getting to build these relationships, I hope to learn more. And even what you shared with yeah. me today, um, it, it sparks a curiosity. So um, public service is a, is a great... I'm getting a lot of that being a public servant, and I think that by being now in Toronto and, and spending time coming to the University of Toronto here, being in this area, I, I see, if you ask me that question a year from now, I hope to have a much more, um, much more, more answers about the startup community. Awesome. But what I have found is that the brain power in this city, in terms of the ability, the innovation, um, even at the Tech Fest last week, yeah. I bumped into so many entrepreneurs, young people, with ideas that were just, I, I can't remember exactly their companies, but the fact that they were already thinking that way was pretty impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is again what uh, we want to do with our podcast here, spotlighting these ideas and people who are driven by these ideas. 
Um, so I really hope that you'll tune in for the future episodes to see the companies that are coming out of here. Great. Right, and uh, Lawrence, thank you again so much for your time and being here. Thank you so right, much I for really having me. It so appreciate much. that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you.